Hi there, and welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. At Redeemer, we are committed to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. And I hope that this podcast is just one more way that you connect to God's presence this week. At the beginning of this year, Adam Barnett shared five intentional areas of growth and focus for us as a church in 2021. We spent the last five weeks looking at prayer, and now it's time to dig deeper into the remaining four areas, fasting, reconciliation, mission, and fellowship. This past Sunday, we were challenged to take one more step into reconciliation, but not just one type of reconciliation. We had the chance to hear from three amazing teachers in one Sunday. As Mark Cruz shared about racial reconciliation, Daniel Bunn looked at relational and familial reconciliation and Dave Brown pointed us toward the love of God and his spiritual reconciliation. So here is week two of One More Step. Well, my friends, today we continue our series, One More Step. We began this year focusing for five weeks on the discipline of prayer. And then we talked last week about taking one step and practicing the discipline of fasting. And today's message is about the discipline of reconciliation. If you think about it, the gospel itself is a message of reconciliation. God coming into a place of sin and brokenness and reconciling us into his family through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Today, you're gonna hear three brief mini sermons from three, three of my dear friends and team members here at the church, different forms of reconciliation. So I challenge you to receive these and to do your part as the people of God in pursuing reconciliation in this world. You get to hear first from Mark Cruz. Come on up. Redeemer Church, it is an absolute honor to share with you this morning. This morning, I have the assignment of talking about racial reconciliation. Christ's followers, our effectiveness as witnesses of the gospel is determined by our unity. The reality is the more we push this conversation to the side, we will push away non-believers because they are listening and watching different places outside of the church pursue unity better than the church is pursuing unity. Before I start church, I don't take this assignment lightly. The first, my aim is for God to be glorified and for his church to take a step. Second, Adam did not assign this assignment to me as the minority on staff, but Adam, the staff, and I are committed to grow in this area as a church. The question I want to challenge all of us to answer is this. What is your next step? In terms of racial reconciliation, what is your next step? Everyone here is in different places in their journey. But Christ's followers, every one of us, we have a step to take. Friends, the work of racial reconciliation is a process. It is work, one that is often difficult and painful. Racial hostility does not dissolve by ignoring the sins of our past or coming together for a kumbaya group hug or embracing colorblind ideology. I want to repeat that again. 
Racial hostility does not dissolve by ignoring the sins of our past or coming together for a kumbaya group hug or embracing colorblind ideology. Reconciliation starts when we stop talking and listening. Some of us, we have been talking way too much. Let us just get this straight. Shame and guilt is from the devil, and I'm not here to shame or guilt any of you. Lament, repentance, and action, these are the responses that I'm praying for each of us this morning. Let us go to God's word. John 17, verse 21, and this is Jesus speaking. It says this, I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. This was Jesus' prayer, talking about his bride, the church. The church of Jesus Christ is composed of people from every race, ethnicity, gender, and walks of life. I want to say this again, church. Our effectiveness is determined by our unity. This is why Satan works extra hard at causing divisions among Christians. Redeemer, some of us would get highly uncomfortable having these type of conversations, but I personally believe in order to take a step towards unity, there has to be discomfort in order to pursue this word unity. In 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. stated that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. This was 58 years ago, but this statement still holds true today. Let me also say this. This is not just a binary white and black issue. Everybody has got to play their part, even me, a brown male. I have a part to play as well. The goal of reconciliation is not tolerance or simply putting up with another race. The sin we must address is racism. If we call it something other than sinful in the eyes of God, then we no longer approach this issue from a kingdom perspective. Pastor Tony Evans says it best, the goal isn't just about repenting from the sin of racism, but it's geared towards developing authentic friendships with different races and cultures than our own. Once we, we repent from the sin of racism, develop relationships across racial lines, then in unity, we can serve our communities. The church is supposed to be the salt and light of our neighborhoods, regardless of the racial demographic. In the wake of racially driven violence being reported on the news more and more, my black friends made a comment to me that just struck me to the core, and I've never forgot about the comment. They said, I can't believe white America is just now believing us. This morning, I'd like to give you practical steps in pursuing racial reconciliation as Christ followers. I want to give you three L's to practically start doing now. The first one is this, listen. God's word says this, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. 
You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Be quick to listen. Listen to understand, not to respond. Be slow to speak. Don't speak right away so you can think and pray about what to say and how to respond in love. Be slow to anger. We have to surrender our emotions to the Holy Spirit so that we have a greater chance to preserve the relationship. Here's a tip. Don't make the conversation about you. You can't listen if your circle all look like you, all think like you, all speak like you, because if our circle just looks like us, thinks like us, sees like us, smells like us, how are we ever going to pursue unity? The second is this, learn. God's word says this, lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. Friends, research and educate yourself with the intent to learn the history and experiences of people of color. Don't expect people of color to be your only source of education and race. People of color get exhausted explaining the same ideas over and over and over again. Read authors of colors, watch documentaries, use Google to do some research. The third is this, leverage. God's word says this, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Redeemer, use your platform, your position, and your voice to support minorities' voice, platform, and position. Ask yourself, How does God want to use me to address the sin of racism in my community, my sphere of influence, and with my family? Church, proximity equals intimacy. It it is us being intentional. Jesus became flesh to be with us. Jesus left what was comfortable to pursue unity with us. Jesus came in flesh. He left what was more familiar, more comfortable to be here with us. And now we follow what he did. The heart of God is unity. Let us not be a church that dismisses this conversation. Part of sanctification is Jesus leading us out of our comfort zone. As I close, this conversation is not over. It's just the beginning for this church. I want to leave you with a charge. Come to Jesus with all your assumptions and your false beliefs. God is able to forgive and restore us to spiritual wholeness. So the question remains, what is your next step? Now I'd like to invite Daniel Bunn on stage. I'm going to be sharing today about relational reconciliation. I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have found any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, 
if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Over the last year, the mood in our country has become increasingly tense. I'm convinced it's not so much that the events themselves have caused the tension as that they have simply been what has brought the tension to the surface. Along with the tension in our country, our culture has continued to shift to predominantly electronic discourse. Now, the pandemic, of course, hasn't helped this, as most of our interaction with people has shifted to text, email, and Facebook. These two factors have combined to create a highly volatile situation. And Facebook, of all places, has become where we go to try to sort important things out. We're engaging many people, some whom we know and care about, others who we don't even know, through this lifeless medium that can bring out the worst in everybody. Facebook truly has the potential to be a demonic force, and I don't say that lightly. I'm amazed by how quickly I can be tempted to dehumanize those who disagree with me. I disagree with them, so obviously they aren't thinking as clearly as I am. Our family wasn't immune. Now I'm going to be quite vulnerable here. As many of you know, uh, over the past year, I lost my father. And before his passing, his relationship with me had also experienced some of this strain. Losing a parent is tough, always, but losing a parent in the midst of the tension we have seen during this year made things uniquely tough. I found myself over the past year engaged in some intense discussions with my father about politics, about culture, about religion. And it's not so much that we found ourselves disagreeing on any particular opinion or issue, but it became clear we just had some fundamental differences in how we approached these issues in life in general. And then we both set about trying to change each other's minds. After all, isn't this what most often we're trying to do when we engage one another? We're trying to get them to see that we were right all along and that they should accept our way of thinking. I want to be a little blunt here. You might think I'm cynical for what I'm about to say, and that's fair, that's fine. But I'm willing to bet that almost no one has ever had their mind changed by something they have read on social media. In fact, most people rarely have their minds changed on anything important. I mean, think about it personally. When's the last time you had a dramatic change of mind on some important issue in life? 
This is a rare occurrence. So there's a good chance this week, as you go out from here, as you see people leaving here today, as you go home, as you go to work, wherever you might go this week, there's a very good chance the people you see will not be having a dramatic change of mind at all, let alone because you send them an article on Facebook. Paul in Philippians, where I just read, talks to the audience about being of one mind. What does he mean when he says being of one mind? Does he mean perhaps that we are supposed to, as Christians, agree on everything? Does he mean that we should always bring disagreements to the surface and argue over them until we resolve them? Does he mean we should avoid confrontation and pretend there are no tensions at all? Now because of what I've read elsewhere in the Bible and what I've experienced in my own life, I'm convinced that he does not mean that we should all agree on every issue. This just isn't reality. We're going to disagree with one another, even on important matters. And I'm also convinced that Paul uh, means that, that doesn't mean that we should avoid disagreeing with and challenging one another. I would say that one heresy that I've seen uh, in the modern church that we wrestle with often is the belief that loving someone means that you never say or do anything that challenges or offends them. This is really often just a masked attempt to avoid feeling uncomfortable myself. It's usually motivated by selfishness. I don't like how I feel, so I'm going to avoid bringing it up. I'm actually pretty convinced that if we care about one another, we will, we will discuss our disagreements, we will bring these to the surface. We will talk about important issues with one another. But I'm also pretty convinced that Paul does not envision that Christians should dehumanize one another. I'm sure that if Paul were here today, he would not use social media to attack others. I'm certain that he wouldn't use Facebook as a means to shame others and lift himself up in order to get some more likes. One of the repeated themes in Paul's letters, and most pronounced perhaps here in Philippians, is that Christians live life, lives of selfless love to one another. In Philippians 2.3, which I just read earlier, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. God wants us to take important issues seriously. And we must wrestle with important issues. But I know personally how easy it is to slip into arguing out of selfish ambition. I want to be right. And I devalue others in the process. Maybe the goal, maybe the next step for us isn't so much that we have a ready-made solution for how to resolve every conflict we ever run into. Maybe the next step for us is that we simply approach all difficulties with caution. 
We are neither quick to avoid confrontation nor eager to find it. Maybe we need to evaluate our motives for entering into conflict. Where in your life have you done things out of selfish ambition and in the process perhaps strained a relationship? Where have you put others down in order to lift yourself up? Maybe the next step we take is evaluating where we have failed to love selflessly, to put others above ourselves, to think with the mind of Christ. Dave Brown will now come to share. So far this morning, we have talked about racial reconciliation and familial reconciliation. And we're going to shift our focus to spiritual reconciliation. To guide our conversation this morning, we're going to be taking a look at Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, which is the parable of the prodigal son. And this story is really about a father's love for his two very different sons. And God, of course, is a loving father, and we are one or maybe even both of the sons in this story. As we engage this story, I want us to be thinking through two questions this morning. What did the sons do? And how does the father respond? In the story, a father has two sons. The younger son asks for his portion of the inheritance from his father who grants his son's request. The son squanders all of the money and eventually becomes homeless. He gets a job helping to feed pigs and longs to fill his stomach with their food. In that moment, he remembers how well cared for his father's servants are. So he goes back home to beg for forgiveness and to be accepted as one of his servants. Luke 15, 20 describes the son's arrival like this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. He also put his best robe on him. He put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and threw a big, lavish party to welcome his son home. The older son heard about what was done for his brother and refused to go to the party. So the father goes out to plead with his older son. The older son tells his father, I've been slaving for you my whole life, and yet you've never even given me a young goat to have a feast with my friends. But when this son of yours squanders all of the property, and when he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And his father tells him in verse 31, my son, you are always with And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but he is now found. Two very different sons. One very loving father. Let's talk about the younger son first. 
The younger son demands for his father's inheritance. Tim Keller had to say this about the younger son's demand. To ask this while his father still lived was the same as to wish him dead. The younger son was essentially saying that he wants his father's things, but not his father. Think about that for a minute. He wants his father's things, but not his father. We'll come to that a little later. Then the son spends everything he has on wild living and in desperation begs to become a servant. Now let's look at the other, the other son, the older son. When the older son hears all of the commotion and he discovers that the party is for his brother, he's furious and he refuses to go in to celebrate. In fact, he makes a big enough deal that a servant goes and gets his father and tells the dad, your son is standing outside. He will not go in to celebrate this. Then when speaking to his father, the older son is nothing short of blunt and disrespectful. Make no mistake about it. This older son's actions were just as shameful as the younger son. The older brother only worked for the father so that the father would have to do what the older son wanted. The older brother really didn't love his father either. He only loved what the father could do for him. Tim Keller also had this to say about the older brother. They both were using the father for their own self-centered ends. Rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. This means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking his rules or by keeping all of them diligently. I'm going to read that last line again. When I was reading through this book, that line hit and struck in my heart. This means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him by breaking his rules or by keeping them all diligently. So how does the father respond to his two sons? He responds the exact same way. He goes out and he runs out to meet his younger son when his son is coming home. And when his older son disgraces him and refuses to go into the party, instead of banishing that son, instead of kicking him out, that father again walks out to his son and begs for him to come in. He absorbs the dishonor from both his children. He reminds both of his children that they are in fact his son. For both sons, the father bears the loss and the disgrace himself, and he calls them to come home. He just wants his sons home. Perhaps you've been like the younger son, Perhaps you've done everything wrong and imaginable. You've run from God. You've wasted every gift that he has given you for yourself. That you've only been concerned about what you can get out of life. 
Maybe it's taking you down the path of alcoholism, addiction, adultery, narcissism. Your father is calling you home. And if you decide to return home, he's going to run to meet you as you turn around. Perhaps you've been like the older son. Perhaps you've been doing things correctly for a long time and you feel like God owes you something. Maybe you're angry at him because your obedience hasn't produced the fruit that you've expected. You haven't gotten the new job or the new house. You've lost a loved one. You're dealing with immense brokenness. Maybe you don't feel like you deserve all of the pain that you've experienced. And those attitudes have broken your relationship with him. Son, daughter, your father is calling you home. He's taken on all the penalty for your sin. He just wants you to return to being a true son, a true daughter. He wants to love on you and be loved by you. If you resonate with the younger brother or even the older brother, we want to create some space for you this morning to be able to reconcile your relationship with God. To do that is simple. We just have to respond like the younger brother when we approach our father. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you feel compelled to reconcile your relationship with God, I invite you to repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I have sinned against you. I have done things which I shouldn't have done. I have left undone things I should have done. I've been focused on myself and not focused on you. Please forgive me and transform my attitude so that I may serve you with my whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've prayed that prayer with me, I invite you to text Jesus to 918-376-3438 and let us know. We would love to partner with you in this beautiful journey of reconciliation that you're embarking on. And as we close, we want to take an intentional moment to sit in all of this racial reconciliation, familial reconciliation, spiritual reconciliation, and process through what is our one next step. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you love us. You've given up so much for us. Lord, teach us to have a heart after you. Teach us to long for a relationship with you, one that compels us to make things right with our family, one that compels us to make things right with our brothers and sisters of different ethnic backgrounds. Father, will you place a burden on our heart for what our next step is? Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to come home. We want to be yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church podcast. 
To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.